Hi and welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. I hope you're well and safe and I look forward to another great chat with another amazing coffee professional. Uh, today we'll be, host, we'll be hosting Maxwell Colonna and I'm just looking forward to having an awesome chat uh, with this cat in the coffee game. Um, thank you all for tuning in and uh, enjoying this episode. I really appreciate all your love and support, whether it's a screenshot of the live, whether it's you sharing, or whether it's mentioning us onto your stories, tweets, Facebook. But without further ado, Maxwell is in, so we'll bring him on. Morning. Good morning. Good evening for us, but good morning to you. Yeah, good evening to you. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 time is it there? About six p.m. Oh, loads of time. Just beginning. Correct, correct, and uh, looks nice and sunny over there. Yeah, Bath's amazing today. I apologise. Bath has lots of seagulls, so if it sounds like a beach. Nah, mate. It's it's the least problem. Thank you for tuning in and dedicating. Uh, an hour of your precious time uh, to share your story and uh, all your knowledge and experience. So thank you for being here, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So what's the, uh, what's the format? Are these themed or are you just catching up with people around the world? Uh, a, bit, a, bit, a, bit, a bit of questions. Uh, we'll go through a few things and then some people might ask questions themselves during the live and uh, like Vag now mentioning your nice moustache, so... <laughs> thanks, thanks, Veg. Thanks, Veg. Very kind. Um, do do anything, anything, anything goes in lockdown. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And speaking of which, first, first thing, sirs, how's you and your family and the Colonna family as far as the lockdown goes and the virus? Oh, we feel very lucky. Um, we haven't been as impacted as other people have. Um, the southwest of the UK is... is, is quite a nice place to be uh, relatively speaking for a lockdown we live in the middle of the countryside the um the business i think was lucky because we had online and we also launched peak water so um like everyone else you know all of the wholesale copies sort of gone um but yeah it's been good it's been good i think it's um there's some positives which is a strange thing to say um about a lockdown but, uh, or a strange event like this, but we definitely feel lucky and um, appreciative that, you know, we haven't been hit as bad as other people have yet. Oh, I think it's not strange. I think it's beautiful. I think um, many people don't realize that once the health is in check, uh, everything else, you know, it's, it's a blessing, you know, whether it's spending more time with the kids, with the family, with the dogs, uh, you know, picking up a hobby, meditating and all of that stuff. But, yeah. Um, um, but Maxwell, I mean, you're what, considered one of the pioneers in the coffee industry. Uh, but how did you start your coffee journey? I started in Melbourne, in Australia. Yeah. So um, yeah, I had no interest in coffee. Um, I uh, the first sort of real job, I guess, apart from sort of well, uh, profession, I guess, was portraiture. So I used to paint and draw people, and. Um, but I actually preferred working in bars and restaurants. Uh, and I was doing that like a lot of artists to learn it, to earn a bit of money on the side to do the artwork. And then I actually got quite busy with the artwork and the art was my first experience of um, kind of entrepreneurship. Like you had to sell your own work and network and meet people. 
Uh, anyway, I got so busy, I had to give up the, the bar jobs and I really missed them. And I didn't enjoy sitting in a room painting all day, which I know is funny because some people love it and I wish they could do it. But I just like people too much um, and being involved in teams. And so I realized I didn't want to do that. And then I met my wife, Leslie, and we, we got married, went to India for six months. And I'd already done my work visa in New Zealand before working on vineyards. So I had an Australian work visa left and we ended up in Melbourne in tw 20, end of 27, 2007. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was, in, I got a job in the CBD in a place called um, Morgan's at, at 401, which is actually a polling station. So they, if you, in Australian um, newspapers, if they polled the general public, Morgan's probably did it. Uh, uh -huh. And the customers just really cared about the coffee, which made me care about it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And the coffee wasn't very great, uh, but, you know, people still cared about how it was made and how it was presented. And then someone sent me up the road to Brother Baba Boudin up on Little Burke Street, which at the time was part of the St. Ali family started by Mark Dundon, who's obviously gone and now does Seven Seeds. But, yeah, that was I just went there and had this incredible coffee uh, that was a Kenyan coffee. It was that I was interested in the process until I tasted that coffee. And then I was more interested in the flavor. And then I was like, ooh, how do these all come together? But I was also, I'm quite a sort of, I like difficult things and uh, challenging things. And I realized that even in Australia and around the world at the time, special, what we call specialty was super underground. Like it was really struggling to speak to customers. And I think that's beginning, to, you know, in the UK, the concept has gone so much more mainstream now that it's so much easier to talk to people about you know, they're not surprised when you talk about coffee like wine or beer or something. But uh, it was really unusual then. And I became passionate about the idea of starting a cafe that forced that conversation in a, in a positive way. Yeah, and that all happened in that we worked, uh, we visited all the roasteries and cafes uh, around Melbourne on our weekends, worked in busy cafes in the week and just used the experience to soak everything up. And um, my most, the best training I did was with a guy called David Makin, who now owns Axel Coffee. And yeah. um, all the courses I'd done before that around Melbourne were very much prescriptive. They were like, you know, this is how you should brew. This is how you should do this. And none of it made sense to me. And I've always been a bit of, I'm a, I'm a bit um, skeptical of authority. I'm like, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's how I ended up in this sort of innovation side of coffee, because I just a very curious person who questions stuff not for the sake of it but just genuinely because i want to understand it and uh, he his was the first cause where he said well there is no rule really uh, we don't understand this we don't understand this but these are the averages and these are the things we uh, as an industry use and i thought that was interesting and that was the beginning really um came back to the uk and started an events business serving coffee at music festivals and stuff and um that wasn't uh that was fine <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was really it wasn't about coffee those events are super busy half the people just don't care there's long queues uh, and it was interesting and fun for for a couple of summers and then we knew we wanted to open a destination shop and go back to that idea of creating something that people could travel to and we could do something different with yeah yeah and i think destination is such a key word in melbourne too you know mm -hmm. i think it's a common common word and i mean you name a few big cats like Mark Danden and uh, David. So it's, uh, 
definitely a good playground in Melbourne. And, uh, and then you won just a few barista competitions. Obviously, you like a challenge, like your deadlifts. I prefer deadlifting to barista competitions. <laughs> because the... No, so basically, I, I got into barista competitions. Partly, David was the most... I was like, oh, that's interesting. When I was in Melbourne, the most interesting training and conversation was coming from people who'd done competition. And I was like, mm. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, and back in the UK at the time, uh, I, I was interested and in, I went along to the London 2010 uh, World Championships. Yeah. And then I, yeah, I take things really seriously. So when I wanted to compete, I sort of would, would train, work in the shop seven days a week, train every evening uh, and took part in 2011 as the first year. I got through to the final, but dropped one of my signature drinks on one of the judges. <laughs> uh, but basically, yeah, I, I won in 2012 and Honestly, at the time, the, I just didn't think about the World Championships or what it meant. But that the World Championships is an incredible platform, especially if you can get quite a long way through. And I was always interested in the Barista competitions as a platform rather than as a pure game, uh, which, is kind, which is why you see in my routines, I wasn't necessarily just ticking the boxes of a score sheet. I was like, how can I, how can I do something interesting and you know, explore an interesting idea whilst also still getting the points? Uh, which, which I managed to do, but I also used to, you know, I used to, my, my routines for that reason used to divide judges. You know, some are like, uh, the water one in particular was such an interesting routine because, um, what was the year that Colin Hummer from 3FV won? Uh, well, he won lots of years. Um, he didn't, he never won world championships. I'm just answering a question in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, my, my, yeah, my routines were, like the water one, I think that was the best thing I could have done for what I like to do in coffee, which is being part of innovation and conversation. And But it was a very, you know, challenging routine for the judges because they're like, one of them even said to me when they debriefed me, um, just uh, your, your routine, Max, was just too much about water and not enough about coffee. And I was like, that was the idea. <laughs> it's supposed <laughs> to be about water. <laughs> but yeah, so... Well, um, so I was just going to say that to wrap up competition, by the time I did 2015, I didn't feel I was getting enough back from that format anymore based from the energy that went in. And yeah. I felt lucky that I'd done so well. And, you know, I really believe that there's so many good, uh, there's a huge amount of luck in Brewster Comps. Um, so I felt lucky I'd had the exposure and met the people and traveled around the world and become part of projects. And then, because of all the work I was doing, I feel like the first six years in coffee, I was doing Brewster comps and research and writing. Uh, and then the last sort of five years have been about, you know, exploring the entrepreneurial side of some of those projects, mainly because like, that's the only way to bring them to life, right? Like, um, yeah. like, oh, I'd love to see that kind of business. And the only way to do it is to go and do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And uh, I'm sure we're going to uh, go a little bit deeper on this. In fact, I mean, my next question was, you know, then Colonna Coffee was born. I mean, what what values and ideas uh, were behind that? Yeah, so the shop, uh, the original shop in Bath, uh, Colonna Smalls, is uh, yeah. coming up to 11 years old uh, now. And after 2015, I, I sort of f finished the championship in Seattle. We had done a beer bar uh, with some friends, which was coffee and beer. It was interesting. Um, it, it wasn't the best working relationship. So 
Uh, I'm a big believer in when you know something's not working, just get out. Uh, chop it. So, yeah, just, just, yeah, exactly. Shut it down, chop it. Uh, and I was also a bit frustrated. I was like, I really want to just taste these competition winning coffees or not even just competition, but as many interesting coffees as possible. Most of what I've done in coffee is kind of quite selfish. I'm like, what would I want? And then there's a company not doing it. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll just go and start a company and do that because I always believe there's enough customers who would want the same thing. Uh, but most I noticed, and I'm good friends with lots of the roasteries and we use those roasters uh, as a multi-roaster cafe for five years, six years. But I noticed that the bulk of that industry is about going into cafes or uh, wholesale businesses. And there's a real price problem because it's hard to make money from a cafe, hard to make money from a restaurant. And even if the person in charge or the barista or the buyer is passionate, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, the coffee's amazing. And then you get down to the conversation about the commercials. And basically, it's a real squeeze. And I was like, hmm, although cafes are like the home of third wave coffee and baristas uh, and the whole movement, it's actually not a great place uh, <laughs> to, to, to sell more interesting coffees at a higher price, right? You know, you've got customers who are, customers who are like, um, uh, you know, they're coming in and, and if your cafe isn't designed to engage them, they have this fast food experience. They're like, I just want a flat white or at this price and I want it quick and I'm, I'm here with a friend or I'm reading a paper. So I thought the you know the interesting if you look at anything boutique it doesn't have to be coffee the interesting boutique stuff generally sells far and wide to less people so less people per sort of capita or per city or per town but all around the world and me and chris had published the water book in um 2015 and i was surprised at how many we sold for such a niche expensive textbook and they were all around the world, mostly not in the UK, mostly the US. Um, I'm sure we would have sold a lot more into other countries if we had done translations. Um, yeah. But the problem is translating a book about water science is not as easy as it sounds. Uh, well, I don't think that sounds easy, but the, uh, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I'd done the barista competitions and the blogs. And I was like, my audience that I've sort of built up is very global. So why don't we start Kelowna not focus on wholesale cafes, but focus on an online store and shipping around the world to this audience who are really keen just to get a hold of interesting coffees. Uh, and that was the beginning of Kelowna in 2015. And at the same sort of time, sort of end of 2015, beginning of 2016, I became fascinated for the same reason with capsules, which is, uh, again, I, there was a movement in coffee where people were questioning um, uh, the way things are done, right? So if you go back 10 years ago, it was like, oh, good coffee is X, Y, Z. It's made this way. It looks that way. And I think a lot of the movement of the last 10 years, especially barista comps are going, really? Does, does the crema that looks the nicest or the shot that looks the nicest really taste the best? Is, you know, how good is a pour over compared to a, a, um, a batch brew? And all these questions, you know, culminating probably in the automated questions and things like that. So what interested me was, um, uh, the fact that the system that Nespresso had created did a lot of what specialty said it wanted to do. Like we want to make coffee accessible. Um, we want to create a premium drinking experience. So this is, I think Nespresso have the best premium brand. And ironically, they appeal to, if you're, a, if you profiled a customer and said, okay, this is a customer who has high disposable income, likes, um, you know, you know, wants a, a luxury quality coffee experience there. Nespresso speaks to them. Right. Um, but also 
the experience was fascinating to me because I was like, um, I was like, this is so interesting that getting rid of brewing makes people taste more coffee. Because if you sell someone a bag of coffee, the whole conversation about a bag of beans is, okay, I buy one bag, I open it, okay, it's starting to oxidate and it's starting to degas. Okay, I'm going to make this coffee in the morning that's going to take me five, ten minutes. It's not about tasting different coffees. That's all about the ritual around one bag of coffee, right? Yeah. So you give someone an Nespresso machine and they just do it without telling you don't have to tell them. They just put a capsule in and they go, oh, that one tastes like this. Then they, they try another one. It's like a chocolate box experience. So I actually think that system encourages people to taste coffee more. Anyway, that's the reason I like, wanted to do it. I also like the shelf life, the fact that you could put a great coffee in there and it would taste great for a year. Um, just so many of the things we care about, I thought it did. But it's very challenging. You know, huge amounts of money to start up a line. Um, loads of problems nespresso booby trap their machines all these issues uh but yeah so 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 i sort of did those at the same time but the capsules made us also cemented the business as a straight to consumer business more because um of course you know that that's what that product is it's for people's homes you know yeah the odd bar will use it um bartenders cocktail bartenders like them because small on the bar interesting coffees they can put in a cocktail but generally it's for home uh yeah, and that's really the values behind Kelowna. And then now, um, before this lockdown hit, we were actually doing a lot more wholesale, but more because we built this reputation for innovation and quality, and then you start to get that coming to you. Then the this has hit, and wholesale's just gone. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like uh, you know we we like collaborate. I like collaboration as well. So like you know we do we do do some interesting collaborative coffee projects. Um, people might not know we roast the coffee for. If people want to make a coffee product that is a higher quality and do something interesting, they generally sort of, that's who we want to work with, basically. I like that. And look, I think innovation and look, you know, on Nespresso and, you know, people like Nespresso, Starbucks, I mean, look, the killer with the marketing as well, I think, you know, the whole catch Nespresso, what else, the whole George Clooney, and you're right, you know, it's like a niche market. And with, with little money, you have a fancy little pretty things on your counter. And, uh, you know, you, you cannot give it an experience, isn't it? And it's so simple that yeah, I think, childproof. Yeah, I think what's interesting is um, specialty, uh, what we call specialty or third wave or whatever. Um, actually, there's quite a few different types of customers who are who are drawn to it. I mean, I've always noticed this about coffee from the beginning. There's your super geeks you're sort of like technical people some of the forums those people i swear they don't really um want they're not that interested in drinking coffee they're just fascinated in you know the extraction of espresso and pressure and uh, all of that and it's just the result out the other side for them it's not a flavor result it's an experience um it's like tinkering with a car or something then you've got all your indies people who want to support independent and artisan and craft and that's not necessarily the same as premium at all so it's really interesting with coffee. It's sort of appealing to these different groups. But I think Nespresso did premium better. Uh, I think Third Wave did Indian craft well. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and, yeah, it makes sense. And look, I think specialty also has created a barrier between themselves and people. I think for many years we put our eyes and thoughts and focus on the cup, on the jug, on the latte art. And, you know, we kind of looked... 
I don't want to say arrogant, but there was a barrier where, you know, some consumers, they maybe wanted to interact and start a conversation and maybe go from the, you know, triple lattes all the way down to maybe try black coffee. But that conversation was shut down by the lack of connection with people. So I think that despite being delicious, you know, coffee would not be possible without people from, you know, from origin to roasters, from the cafe to the hand of the guy who buys that flat white with two sugars. I think we've forgotten about that. Could be people a new trend for specialty coffee, you know, connecting even after lockdown, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think, yeah, I think it's really interesting because I would say, yeah, there's, there's the, when you're in an industry and you learn a lot, you forget what it was like to not know so much about that topic. Right. We, we all do this. It, it could be a board game or a sport or anything, but coffee particularly. So what we think, we, you know, it's very hard to put yourself in the shoes of the person who doesn't know anything. But what's fascinating about lockdown is in the UK, at least, I mean, I don't know what it, it, it's the same in Australia, but um, overnight, suddenly people have been drinking all these great coffees in cafes and these people were not making or had any interest in learning about it themselves. I go to that cafe, they do a great job great suddenly the cafe's gone and the the uptake in people wanting to educate themselves and go okay well what do i need to do to make good coffee at home and you know all of the brewing equipment sold out um it's a bit like the sourdough boom and we've seen it like for years everyone's like oh people don't want to learn too much about coffee they just want to drink a nice coffee etc etc and then suddenly the pandemic hits and suddenly that changes you, you know people do want to learn about coffee right now so it's kind of, I think the, the two are coming together and meeting. Um, and that's sort of a nice side effect of the pandemic is, is, is people, coffee is something people can learn about quite easily. They can make, well, you know, it's much easier to make a nice coffee at home than it is to make a sourdough loaf. <laughs> oh, but I, I, without any doubt. And, and speaking of that, I think, uh, which it goes hand in hand with, with my next question is, the way coffee is seen is very different uh, as far as career and entrepreneurial goes. Uh, do you have any special words for people out there who are chasing their passion for coffee, but they're stuck in what's considered a, a good job uh, by society or by mom and dad saying, well, you got to be a financial advisor, you got to be yeah. a dentist, doctor, but they might not really enjoy it, they might be even hating it, and they really like coffee. What's your take on that? Because coffee, it's not just about being a barista, a roaster. There is so many things. You can be a blogger, a writer, an author, a photographer, a scientist, a YouTuber. Yeah. The list goes on. You know, how do you see yeah, I mean, coffee? Uh, what would you say to people? Well, I mean, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I've, uh, everything about my career, if you call it a career, uh, is not doing um, what anyone tells me to do, <laughs> including my parents. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm a pretty sort of, uh, you know, I think I'm a big believer in do what you want to do, explore your passion, don't, don't waste years doing something you don't want to do. And I think it's easier said than done. I mean, everyone's in different situations. But um, on the flip side of that, then if you do want to do coffee and you do want to go, okay, um, I'm going to go and, you know, just get stuck in. It doesn't have a formal career path. So it can feel, um, what's the word? Um, sort of overwhelming and sort of high risk and well, well how am I going to get anywhere and what am I going to do? 
but also the coffee industry, because it doesn't have that, is extremely receptive to people coming into that community. And uh, it's basically, and I think coffee is an apprenticeship-based industry. It's all about experiencing and learning. Um, and if you want to do that, if you want to get better every day and you want to learn more, like you will be able to do loads of things in coffee. Uh, but you also have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zones. Like if you do anything entrepreneurial or anything that isn't formally pre-aligned, you know, you have to take, you have to go out, you have to learn things, do things maybe you don't find fun, you know, because they need doing. So I think, um, yeah, I, I would say like, um, I'm all for jumping into coffee uh, f two feet first and coffee as an industry will have lots of opportunity for you, but you have to also work really hard, be open-minded. Um, you, you, it's not just because you're passionate about coffee doesn't mean you're going to be given a career. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Um, and speaking of career, and I also think that what you say is so on point, for so many other industries, you know, I think people, we are more and more impatient because everything is fast, right? Uh, yeah. we can download an app within 30 seconds. We can, you know, fly to the other side of the world in hours. Therefore people won't say right here, right now, but you got to start from washing dishes. Really? Uh, yeah. you can literally yeah, you've, start from washing dishes. Well, and for me, it's sort of, um, it's whatever the, for me, a lot of mine's been project based, right? So if I work in a cafe in Melbourne, I'm like, okay, what does the cafe need to be a great cafe? And that isn't just great coffee. Yeah, it's washing dishes, it's clearing tables, it's customer engagement. And, you know, people sort of say to me, oh, what does my day to day look like in the businesses I'm in? And I'm just like, it's whatever it needs to be. <laughs> it's whatever, <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever. And I feel like a lot of what I've done either in the projects I'm involved in is just trying to figure out what are the things you can really focus on to move something forward, right? Yeah. So it's the same with it's the same with research. So much of coffee sort of science or statistics, a lot of what I've done is just look at it all and try to cut through the noise and say, okay, well, where's that data actually coming from? And what is actually important? What's really going to make a coffee taste better? So, um, yeah, I think uh, the career-wise one is interesting, though, because I do think there's two types of careers in coffee businesses. And I think coffee people cannot expect to get the commercial side so if you, if you decide that you want to do coffee, you want to become a coffee person, you want, that means a certain set of opportunities. It means, uh, you know, baristas, barista trainers, um, maybe if you're a managerial type cafe manager, um, it, means, um, it means potentially QC, roasting, production roasting, head of coffee roles, training roles. Then when you sort of flip into the other, a business can't run just on those roles. It needs, you know, content, marketing, finance. Uh, one thing I would say is, you know, if, if you look at those jobs on the coffee side and you don't think you want to do all those and at some point you want to skip across to the other, you can't just skip across. Like the, the business is going to hire someone who's spent 10 years becoming great at finance, not someone who's done coffee for 10 years and suddenly is like, oh, I think I'd like a higher salary. Can I move across into that role? So I think it, it's, I'm just saying it's my experience. I've noticed that I think a lot of, because coffee's entrepreneurial, it's like, you know, you get a lot of people who do a lot in coffee, but also run their own business. That's fine. And that, I think that's a big part of career development in coffee is people say, what's the career development? I'm like, well, I think for a lot of people, it's owning their own business. You know, coffee is, <laughs> is drawn to that, right? But also those other roles, I think as coffee evolves and specialty stops being so niche, these businesses become you know, more serious businesses. And 
those roles in that business are you should be if i was i would be saying to someone you shouldn't just promote the coffee person because they love coffee you should get someone who's amazing at operations to do the operations of that roastery etc etc so i think it's about realizing that as well like if you do want to do coffee rolls great but if you don't then actually you might want to step out of coffee for a bit go and learn about operations or something somewhere else and then come back in absolutely and 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 look i think also finding what you truly love uh, in the sense of if you love people then perhaps being stuck 10 hours behind a roaster is not going to be ideal for you um you know versus if you're very introverted then on the flip side you would enjoy uh, being stuck in a lab doing queue and doing control quality and all of that uh, so i think also finding your strengths as an individual is important yeah i think and i think you're so right and um i've always been uh, it's always frustrated me how people think you know hospitality is a basic job right like i still believe being um, it's it's harder to be amazing on a shop floor than it is to production roast 100% it's way harder right so um i think a lot of people assume okay i'll do the barista job and then i'll go to the roastery job and you're like hang on a minute the barista to do the barista job well is really hard and actually you know being amazing in that cafe it, it, it i don't i don't think it's a career progression to go and production roast i think it is it's a sidestep if if you'd rather production roast but i also agree with you and we have that people work in the cafe and then want to work at the roastery and what i say to them is are you sure you want to work at the roastery? <laughs> because it's basically a, a production factory, right? Yeah. Like, uh, of course, I'm passionate about it and we want to roast great coffee. But like you say, it is a repetitive production role. There's hardly any people. You know, you need to be very methodical. So, yeah, I totally agree. It's about, but that's about self-awareness, right? So it's about knowing. 100%. So you're like, who am I? What do I enjoy? And what does the role need? And then doing the two. Yeah. This um, is... Sorry, it's me. It's my, no, my no. dogs have come to say hello. Luca. Oh, oh that's, <laughs> that's what I love about live stream. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that hits my jam. That, this is so much my jam. I, I, I'm such a big fan of this uh, concept of self, self-awareness. I mean, when I used to work for Tubbs Estate Coffee Roasters, uh, I was on the ground because that's what my strengths were. And I remember when I would, you know, did some uh, work up in Sydney with a roastery and once I was stuck in this you know, a little five kilo roast stuff filter coffee. And I was one of the boys and, uh, and he started talking me through it. And I was like, okay, so what do we do now? And he said, we wait. And I was like, oh, wow. That's eight more hours to go. <laughs> yeah, man, it is tough work. And I think um, it reminds me of when I used to work on the vineyards in, in New Zealand, right? Like it sounds romantic. Oh, so hard that work. Like pruning vines all day long is so yeah. hard. But I'm, I'm again. I, yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a people person. So uh, even the science stuff I do is not, you know, I do it to collaborate. It's the ideas, it's the discussion, the figuring problems out, rather than just the pure data collection. Yeah. And and, and we are in the people business, so I think we we often forget that you know it's yeah. hospitality without people, there's no shop. Um, uh, speaking of which, we kind of reached the already half hour mark, and I'll ask the out of the box question. Um, Max, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? Anyone doesn't have to be coffee. Poor, oh, I'm, I'm bad at these. Choose the best question. Choose a favorite thing. <laughs> um, 
No, I just, I just want to have that. You look at my coffee career. I, I refuse to do one thing, right? It's like I find lots of stuff interesting, and this is what happens with investors. They're like, "Can't you just focus on one thing?" I'm like, "Nope, <laughs> definitely not." So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, lots of different people. I mean, I, I, I'm drawn to sports and the competitive world. Um, I recently thoroughly enjoyed the Michael Jordan documentary. I'd love to have dinner with Michael Jordan. Uh, I think yeah, I thought that was amazing times. that whole story. Yeah, um, and I'm into quite a lot of uh, a lot of different sports. But then also, you know, that sort of create like I, I'm a big into startups. Like, um, so when I realised that to create ideas that you know to make them real, you have to really learn how to make them a business. Uh, I, I became quite, you know, obviously those Silicon Valley stories are super exciting, right? So. Uh, I know he's a bit nuts, but he's also a genius. I would like to have dinner with Elon Musk. Um, oh, I'm yeah. actually very lucky. <laughs> I'm actually very lucky. I'm very lucky to have, uh, through a few different people, I've met some amazing. I went out to San Francisco, and I met the founders of Eventbrite, Julia and and Kevin, and they. I stayed with them, and and I actually got to meet some incredible people. I I, I, got, I met the guy uh, Bing, who basically started the um, the gaming movement, computer games. <laughs> Wow. There's a documentary about him and, and he said back then people said to him, Oh, don't be ridiculous, you know, and he said, Honestly, gaming is gonna be bigger than movies and everyone wrote him off and, and now now it is, right? But um, now it is. And I also managed to have I was very lucky in London to have dinner with Reed Hoffman who started LinkedIn. Um and he uh he had just been to visit the Pope in uh the Vatican. And I sort of said, oh, what were you doing there? And he said, oh, the, the, the Pope invited me to the Vatican to uh, give them, uh, you know, like to educate them on the impact of artificial intelligence on modern society. How amazing is that, right? And then he went to the Bilderberg meeting. Have you heard of the Bilderberg meeting? No. It's, uh, it's basically in lots of conspiracy theory books. It's this meeting every year that's been happening since 1947, where a lot of the world's most powerful people get together. Okay. Anyway, my point being is um, I feel like I'm very lucky that I don't I've in co through coffee. I've managed to have dinner with so many amazing people. Uh, I feel very great. I've met all from all walks of life, whether it's, you know, all different amazing professions and industries. So I feel very lucky that I've met a lot of amazing people. And I also hope I meet a lot more. And um, I don't know who they are right now, but that's coffee for me is, you know, that's what's been amazing about it. I've been able to connect. I started a podcast um, a while ago because I was just meeting so many interesting people who were not in coffee, but the, the way we approach coffee, like it's this complicated thing that you have to be passionate about and commit to that draws, that's the same mindset that other people have in other fields. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I, I was doing like meeting musicians, authors, uh, scientists, all sorts. Um, and I stopped doing it because it's a lot of work to do a podcast. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot of work for you to do this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, sort of a bit of a different answer to your question, probably. But, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I met amazing people and I hope I keep meeting more amazing people. Yeah. I think uh, there is no such a... I don't think there's anything better than sharing a cup of coffee with someone or dinner. I think that's really yeah. what coffee is about, bringing people together. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a that's a beautiful answer. Um, Last Dance was actually recommended to me by Rubens, 
uh, Gardelli. Oh, so he was yeah, like, yeah. you got to watch it. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. A great documentary. Like, yeah, it's the, it's the commitment thing. You know, he's fully committed to it. Um, what do all these people say to you when you introduce yourself? Oh, that's a good question. Badger's question. Um, I don't introduce myself as a coffee professional. <laughs> uh, um, they, they tend to meet me, Vaj, because of the projects and the innovation. Um, and, and all these same people are the same. They're curious. They, you know, I, I, a lot of what I've done in coffee is um, storytell. So when I got into coffee and people said to me, oh, um, and also, just quickly to answer Badger's question, that the, a lot of these people also don't go down the formal route. They also take risks and do their own thing. So they get it. They, they you know, I think if you met someone in like a, a very formal traditional career path and said you're a coffee professional, they would be like, uh, what does that mean? Um, but I think in, in these sort of entrepreneurial worlds, you know, people get it. They're like, oh, okay, cool. So, you know, of course coffee's interesting. Everything's interesting, you know. Um, you know, chairs are interesting, you know, there's so much interest, in, you know, and then it's what you do with it, right? But back to the storytelling thing, I think, um, for me, uh, when I got into coffee, and people said it was, uh, you know, these things are too complex, that a lot of what I try to do is go, I don't think, yes, coffee's complex, but I don't think it's complicated. I think when you break it down, you know, everyone can engage and understand with each bit. And a lot of the time, it's just a language, that problem. That's what I learned about science. I was like, you know, all these words that you don't know, but they're just a word that someone put on top of something. And if you come to the party late and someone uses all these words, not just science, but anything, you know, like, you know, business acronyms or coffees like this, all these words that people are like, oh, I'm confused. So, well, actually, if you, you know, you can understand the word. You're just not used to it. It's just not familiar. So I think coffee's full of stories and everyone relates to stories, whatever profession they're in, basically. Yeah, yeah, and look, as as humans, we are all about storytelling, you know. Whereas back two thousand years ago, next to a fire camp, you know, where it was, you know, talking about stars and planets, like it always, it's yeah. all about stories. And you know, there's an application to a brand to it. You know, it's like every brand, the most successful brands are the ones who are least transactional and more focused on the story and why they're doing what they're doing, rather than buy this 999 20% off free delivery you know there's an application to those promotions but that transactionality ruins a story to tell totally. who you are yeah. why you do it um and speaking of which i mean coffee is a popular drink and yet many forget that one of the main ingredients is water until yeah. you came up with peak um, well <laughs> what pushed you what pushed you and made develop uh, the product and the passion uh, around it? So I think this is interesting, right? Like um, uh, uh, so much of coffee is about a bit like Formula One, like the, 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 the extra second on the track. Like we want to make, and I get it. I'm, I'm obsessed with that too. Like how can I make that even more perfect or, you know, how can make it just a, that, just that bit better, right? But then when you step back and you go, okay, coffee's a pyramid and we're up the top how do we get more of the bottom to the top? That's the impact, right? Like, and what happened with the water project was uh, me and Chris were involved with uh, a large coffee water company trying to make the ultimate barista system to go under the counter in a cafe, right? 
uh, and it, you could adjust the magnesium, calcium, etc. And it was cool, but it was expensive, uh, big, and quite rightly, they sort of said, I don't think um, we can sell many of these and it's not worth doing. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So that sort of went to one side. But whilst I was doing it, I was interested that we were trying to make systems that were already pretty good, even better. Uh, you know, cafes already produce much better coffee than most people's homes. And that's what interested me. I was like, oh, this is interesting. These systems that are normal in cafes, you know, people don't have this at home. And the more that roasters and cafes have educated their customers and said, hey, you know, you need to do this grinder and you need to come on the brewing course, the more and more the customers are like, well, I can't get it to taste the same. And the more and more it's the water. So rather than trying to make the perfect water, I was like, hmm, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool just to get these systems into a jug like a Brita jug? That was it. That was the idea, right? Um, and that was in 20, that was like three years ago. Uh, and I actually went to other water companies, uh, who I won't name, and said, uh, I've got this idea. Because the thing is, like a lot of people give me a hard time about Peak. They're like, oh, you have no experience in manufacturing. Of course it was delayed. Of course it took you too long. I was like, I know. I know. Um, I made it because I went to other people. Uh, sorry. And they said no, right? You're right. So, so I said, uh, I'll make it myself then. Because I believed the idea was so good. Uh, and, and I wanted to see it come to life. And then you just begin that journey and you're like okay well now i'm making it so i've got to figure out how to make it figure out how to solve it um yeah and it's been an amazing journey it looks simple but uh production man uh, injection molding is really really tough like um it's given me a newfound respect for every product that i've ever seen in a shop like there was a team there was huge amounts of resource there was loads of problems even to make something really simple uh and so it's been a big learning experience, but I also like that, right? Like if you chuck yourself in at the deep end, you force yourself to learn uh, about it as well. And, and now I'm, you know, again, you sort of, you build that experience. So now I could do another injection molding product a lot easier and, and a lot more quickly. But um, anyway, that's injection molding. So I, I had to become, I was forced to become interested in plastics because that was the only way to get it to work, right? Um, but really it's just a simple idea. How do we put a bypass system into a, into a filter jug. Um, and I think the two innovations there, a bit like the capsules, it's, there's the technical innovation and then there's the consumer innovation, which is going, I think there's customers who are in, I think, you know, Brita or BWT, they can all make this. If they wanted to make it, they could make it, right? But it's because they don't see the audience. They don't understand that there is a need and a demand, right? And I feel like so much of what I've done is Yes, I'm doing technical innovations, but really the innovations is going, oh, I think there's this value over here. There's, this could help a lot of people. Or there's a lot of people who want this. Uh, and the thing is, in most organizations, we all get used to doing what's been done before because we go, okay, this is what works. This is who our customers are. And that's why innovation within a bigger company, especially when it comes to new audiences, is really, really tough. So... Um, yeah, and I mean, the, the perfect example are pizza shops, you know. <laughs> oh, that works. They're selling pizzas. Let's go. There's millions of coffee shops, uh, pizza shops out there. So you're right, you know, it's about the innovation. Um, now, well, 
speaking of brewing coffee, I think that yes, you're right in terms of you you saw a demand and you went for it. And you're right, Brita could have made it and said you went in, going, you know what, well, I'm going to do it. Effort. Yeah. Um, where do you see the area with most room for improvement when it comes to home brewing for people who are going to rewatch and re-listen to this? Yeah. So, so I would say after water. <laughs> Uh, I, honestly <laughs> that, I, I honestly believe that there's three things that really have the biggest impact on coffee brewing. Uh, I think it's the coffee, obviously, uh, which, which, and by that, I mean the coffee in the bag. So it's a mixture of the green coffee, the, you know, the roast style packaging. Then there's the water and the other one's the grind. Like I believe that so much more can be done in grinding. Um, it's, 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 it's annoying. Grinding is really annoying. <laughs> Uh, and, and actually I do the, with the capsules, the aluminium ones, we use a roller grinder. Roller grinders are amazing. Um, all of the grinders in, in, but I don't think they can just be improved in people's homes. I actually, you know how I think the water systems are already quite good in cafes. I think grinders in cafes are not good. <laughs> so I actually believe there's a lot to improve in cafes with grinding and in people's homes. Yeah. Are we going to see, uh, a grinder eek or, uh, I think I mean um, maybe no, you're gonna I mean, you're gonna design a new grinder. <laughs> I, I am involved but, in a I am involved in a grinder project, yeah. There you go. I didn't <laughs> know. <laughs> well I'm excited maybe in a few months we'll reach tune in and uh, you tell us that that's going. So um but um and, and another thing that I think you can add a lot of value as far as uh uh you know, as far as these conversations but going. I'm just, I, yeah. Sorry, I'm just um, I was laughing at the conversation and the comments about the word, the name Peak. Yeah, there is already a yeah. grinder called Peak. Uh, Mark Honig, actually, it was yeah. funny because I, yeah, it was funny because I was, um, I, I really liked the name Peak for the jug and I felt bad about using it because of the grinder, but then, uh, and also don't be offended, Malconic, but I didn't think they did a very good job with the name. So I was like, I'm going to take the name and use it for a water jug. <laughs> but I think, they'd yep. be upset. I think they'd be upset if I used it for a grinder as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure you've purchased a few of their products in the past, so it's okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, something that uh, I think you touched base earlier on about uh, making coffee accessible uh, globally, uh, this really interests me because... In comparison to wine, I find that coffee, once it's roasted, a lot of times it's consumed more locally than globally. Um, I think there is yep. a potential to bridge that gap and bring more coffee, more homes around the world. You know? Yep. Well, I think there's... I think there's... Go on. No, no, please, that's no, it. Go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think there's... I agree with you, and I actually believe this is where... Te brewing technology is uh, is because of coffee brewing that's why coffee's local because it has to be fresh has to be in a bag uh you know you know most roasters uh, you know they're 90 to 100 percent of their audience is just their country right um but this is where brewing technology is interesting and storage is interesting you know um one of the innovations i'm working in on is is, is processing green coffee to make it you know because it gets too dehydrated to to ship but a lot of this storage challenge we have, freshness and, and quality, is why coffee's local. One of, I've had a few producers, uh, producers, Colombian producers, approach me and Yemeni producers about capsules because 
they realize that if they get their coffee, they can put their coffee as a producer in a capsule, ship it anywhere in the world and sell it. And, and that customer doesn't say, was it made locally? The capsule customer just goes, great. Do I, is it a great coffee in a capsule? Brilliant, right? So um, I'm, that's really, I'm doing that. Uh, I'm doing a Mozambique one, a Yemeni one, and, and a Panama one. These, these different producers helping them get their coffee in a capsule so they can go straight to the consumer. But, you know, single serve, I think single, it's going to be really hard to beat single serve. One of my favorite innovations is a, uh, a Dutch company called Spin with two N's. Uh, and it's basically a, a centrifugal brewing system. Uh, and it's, an, it's basically an all-in-one bean to cup uh, that, um, that it, you, can, it's all, you can program as the roaster your, your, your brewing parameters into it. I think the challenge we still have with coffees is hoppers putting beans in hoppers and taking them out of hoppers. That's why single serve is so powerful. But single serve's problem is, um, and this isn't really the problem people think it is, but we do want to reduce the, the waste of single serve, right? But um, actually single serve is very, very efficient. And I don't mind talking about reducing waste of single serve. In fact, I'm passionate about it. How can we make single serve even better? But what I don't like is coffee people thinking that them having an espresso or a V60 is a thousand times better. It's actually very wasteful with coffee, very wasteful with hot water. And overall, the carbon impact of a V60 or an espresso is worse than a capsule, right? So, um, but I believe that single serve is the way to get coffee into, is to get people to drink coffee more globally from one producer or one roaster. Yeah. I like that. And, uh, you know, Something that Klaus Thompson uh, from Coffee Collective said yesterday, um, and I liked it, was about even the flavor of coffee. Coffee is like a, he, he described it like a statue. You know, you can look at that statue in so many angles, you know, like yeah, yeah. a piece of art. Uh, and I think it's so true in terms of, you know, whether it's an AeroPress, a V60. And, you know, even Scott Rouse said on the podcast, said, well, I'm always actually wrong, you know, like it's like it, it's keep watching the statue from different angles. So, you know, I think the snobbiness of, oh, well, single use or a tea bag for coffee or capsule, it doesn't matter. It's just about keep getting that conversation of innovation flowing, just ultimately to look at coffee from angles. Yeah, I also think, um, so I'm fascinated by consumer behavior and the internet's amazing for that because, you know, what does oh, someone yeah. click on, et cetera. But I also think, you know, you know, if you work in branding, I've always been fascinated by branding and marketing. And um, there was a professor at Bath who come in, comes in the shop and his first lesson every, um, every year with the new students was he goes around the room and he says, everybody think of a brand that is rubbish that you hate, right? And everyone thinks of a brand and then they go around the room and they're like, uh, you know, like, oh, I think Costa's rubbish or... I think, uh, you know, Ugg boots are rubbish. And he goes to write, he goes, okay, every, you're all wrong. The, the fact that you thought of that brand means it's successful, right? And, and what he said is, it just doesn't appeal to you. Now, but you are not the customer. So your job in marketing and branding is to go and put yourself in the shoes of the customer, right? And I, I hear conversations in coffee when people are like an individual is speaking on behalf of what they think everybody else wants or, or, or how everybody else thinks. Uh, and there's always, you know, Twitter's really bad for this or, you know, these small echo chambers where sure that's, 
everyone's entitled to their opinion and that's what you think but actually um that there is you know it's trying to go okay well for example someone has one of my capsules and goes well it's not the best copy i've ever had you're like okay so but and they're like but it tastes of the farm and i can taste the origin and the flavor and you're like yeah exactly that that's that's the point right is um for and then somebody who's into nespresso tastes it and is like wow i've never tasted anything like this so i think you have to put yourself in the it's really hard to do but we should all do it more um more than ever with the challenges of the world and uh you know uh, b- between individuals and communities and that is to try and put yourself in the position of other people and i think that's what coffee is now doing is going okay how can i understand those customers rather than just focus on my customers yeah that's beautiful I- I like that you touch base on brand and marketing and uh, that story from the professor. I'm going to, I'm going to re, re- recycle <laughs> that. Um, cause, and, and I think also the problem with marketing agency as well that I find is that often they work around industry that they don't understand. So that's actually how my agency was born. And this is not me promoting cause it's I don't know, 18 people who will never probably don't even have a cafe, but basically my social media marketing is only for the coffee industry and the hospitality industry because I know, you know, it's been nine, ten years that I'm in it, which is still, I don't know, nowhere near as much as you or others, but how the hell could I market a plumbing product or uh, a well, new I make it, I mean, service that I don't understand? So I think it's also relevant to be, you know, you need to be able to understand what you're marketing and branding. I- yeah, I totally agree. I actually think that that's one of the major issues with coffee. And I've seen a lot of people, very clever people in other industries, uh, where they pick things up quick. They go, oh, I can just do coffee. And then they start doing it. And they're like, oh, this is way harder than I thought. Um, from, a bus- from a business point of view as well, like coffee consumers are really sensitive to authenticity. If they think that you're just, you've just come up with a new business and you're going to flog a load of coffee, like that doesn't resonate with with coffee people i think coffees are awesome in some people i I used to give an anti-argument to the automation debate so i used to argue why i don't think you'll see robots making coffee right um there's lots of reasons and that's a whole talk so so I i can't do all that right now but um the the comparison is actually everyone talks about convenience right everyone says convenience is king that's never true convenience is all it's always a venn diagram of convenience and quality and price and all of that together right so um the uh the the automation actually if you look at the coffee scene it's not that technological it's actually more Well, I'm not sure what's happening here. Maybe he's receiving a phone call, but or maybe he's my internet dropping. All right, so I think Max has just dropped out, so we'll, we'll wait for him to pop back in. We actually left only four minutes uh, of the live stream, but so far it's been. An amazing conversation and uh, I hope he 
pops back in. Uh, let's have a look. Okay. Yeah, for people who are still here, um, yeah, he just left the chat. I think it must have uh, his connection must have dropped or something, and that's okay. Uh, the problem is that in three minutes the live will be over, but it's okay. Um, Os Consult, Vag, um, Tanti, Rob, and all the ones still here. Hope you're enjoying. Uh, Drum, Drumex Rosta, um, thanks for the comment. Great conversation. Uh, this will be turned into a podcast um, on all major podcast platforms and our YouTube channel. So you can catch up all the other uh, 43 episodes uh, again. And uh, yes, let's answer that question. So I'm going to amp in it. Uh, let's have a look if he's back. Not yet. Um, yeah, so, so far it's been an interesting conversation. Um, I really would like to have another hour uh, with, with Max uh, down the track to talk more about other things that he brought on uh, as a topic. And uh, yeah, so hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, I was going to almost close the episode uh, in a matter of minutes uh, after that last question. Uh, we'll see if we can bring him back on uh, real soon. Instagram has been playing up a little bit the last couple of uh, live streams, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Kapihan, love your live streams, really great. Thank you. I love to have you here. I love to all of you enjoying it. They're gonna get better and better. Uh, now they're very rustic. They're very uh, prompt. Uh, I don't have a setup, as you can see. I'm just uh, in my living room with my bike in the background, no lightning and. Um, we're just doing what you're doing and uh, it's just bringing the coffee community together and uh, just trying to do uh, exactly what Max was talking about which is uh, just spread, spread love for, for what we love. Um, I love people, I love talking and um, a podcast format just works really well with me and uh, I have other uh, projects I'm working on, excited to bring it, bring them to life uh, to you real soon and um, it is what it is but um, um, all right, let's have a look. Thanks for your efforts. You're doing great. Oh, thank you, uh, Phil. That's really appreciated. And uh, sorry if I didn't ask that question. Uh, I could answer it to you. It is available on Amazon. I checked just uh, earlier, so you can find that his book there. Uh, Vag, um, before this ends, is thirty seconds. Um, who would I love to have dinner with? Um, that's an easy answer. Uh, it's Big G, Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, that's definitely someone I would love to have dinner with, just because how quick he is, and across dinner he would be able to answer so many questions and open up so many interesting conversation. Yeah, Chef Dan, big dog, good to see you. Um, you just missed the tail end of an amazing interview with um, Max. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely, we'll definitely gotta rewatch this. It was a big, big episode, as usual. Hope you're well. We gotta still catch up for that coffee. And um, yeah, surprisingly, Instagram hasn't given me the 30 seconds countdown yet. So I believe we'll be doing soon. Um, and yes, back. 
the Gary does seven minute meetings, but it will be dinner. So <laughs> I'll make sure it's a long dinner. Um, yeah, that's someone that I would love to have dinner with, I reckon. And amongst plenty of people, um, here is a countdown for the for the internet for, for the Instagram live. So hopefully, I can bring back Max back to just say a final goodbye. Um, if not, if I can't, because maybe he's on a phone call, business phone call. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow with Matthew. Uh, stay safe out there. Keep warm. Keep drinking coffee. And uh, if you like this, just uh, share them with the people that you love. Thank you.